Amen. It is an honor to handle the word of God. Pray that I would handle it rightly this morning. If you were paying attention uh, to this last song, then in one sense the sermon's already been preached. Um, I will wait for you on your word. I will rely. I will wait for you until my soul is satisfied. I want to draw your attention to the word of God this morning and into this new year. That is my goal today. So I would just begin by saying, what is it that you pay attention to? What is it that you pay attention to? In your life, what is your life defined by? If it's defined by the content that you take in, then what is it defined by? What is it that you pay attention to? It matters what you pay attention to. Um, as I found out on um, many a date night with my wife, um, if we go to a restaurant that has lots of TVs, whew, <laughs> it is hard to pay attention to the right things <laughs> because every single one of those TVs is flashing stuff up there as best that it can um, in order to vie for your attention, in order to grasp your attention and hold your attention. And that is the world that we live in. Never more than now has that been true. Um, there are jobs, there are, there are folks whose jobs, they get paid lots of money to design algorithms to figure out what comes up next on, on uh, the social media platform that you use. What comes up next to hold and grab your attention? Uh, just uh, this year, um, $239 billion was spent on advertising. Uh, I've always was shocked at YouTube, like if you look at how many views certain videos get. I, it was shocking to begin with. And then for me it became, oh yeah, it's a few million, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> and then it became, wait, where is all this money coming from? How in the world do people have, I mean, all these people who are putting these videos out there are getting paid every time it's viewed. And I thought, where is all that money coming from? But it's ads, is it not? And their job is to hold you, to grab your attention, to hold you, to get the message that they want you to hear in as quick as they can while you're watching. Amazon alone spent $6.9 billion on advertising this year. Uh, that's $21,000 a minute. <laughs> is that the kind of... <laughs> that puts it in perspective a little bit, doesn't it? $21,000 a minute to vie for your attention. And if you thought that was bad, uh, the election this year, uh, they spent $7 billion vying for your attention. No, sorry. They projected it was at seven. It was actually $8.5. <laughs> $8.5 billion vying for your attention. Well, as I said, I want to draw your attention to the Word of God today and hopefully into this new year. I want you to uh, recognize that you're in control of your, the content that you take in, and what should that be? We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 16. Peter says... We did not follow 
cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking here about the transfiguration. We just read that account out of Luke. Pastor Chase just preached that account just a few weeks ago from Matthew. He's talking about the transfiguration. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we preached to you, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were there on the holy mountain, he says. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And he goes on and says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You'll notice in this text, the main idea, the main command that Peter gives is in verse 19. He says, you will do well to pay attention to this prophetic word. So I want to draw us our attention to five areas, five truths about the word of God that will hopefully draw our attention to it. Pay, and number one is this, pay attention to the preached word. Pay attention to the preached word. This may seem oddly self-serving as I am actively preaching the word, but indeed that's what we should all be doing is we ought to be paying attention to the preached word. Look at what he says in verse 16. We didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is Peter saying here? He's saying, hey, you folks, the, the apostles that we have preached to, we didn't preach to you a cleverly devised myth, a, a fable, a story. Rather, we preached and proclaimed to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our preaching is to be heard. It is to be listened to. It is to be obeyed. It is to be carried out. So he says, pay attention to the preached word, the word that we preached to you. He knows the importance of paying attention. If you remember, Pastor Chase drew our attention to this text, uh, this, uh, this transfiguration story. When Peter, James, and John were up on the holy mountain, Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. He receives honor and glory from God the Father. His true glory is revealed and he shines brightly. It's an incredible moment. And uh, Pastor Chase drew our attention to the fact that in the Luke account we just read, it's almost as if Peter's just sticking his foot in his mouth again uh, when he says, as he was still speaking, he's like, hey, let's make a tent and we'll, we'll make three tents and we'll just hang out because this is great. And he's actively sticking his foot in his mouth. And it's almost like the voice of God interrupts him. As he was still speaking, Luke says, as he was still speaking, this cloud overshadows them. And the voice of God booms. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
talking and listen to him. And I've been mesmerized by that, that reality, that he is interrupted by the voice of God and told to let your words be few. You're in the presence of God himself on that holy mountain. So Peter knows the importance of paying attention. If you, if you look at the way that he tells the story here, he says, we heard the voice, this is verse 17, we heard the voice born to Jesus by the majestic glory. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He leaves the whole pay attention part, the listen to him part out. And I think it's because he's about to instruct us to do that in what he's about to say. He's about to instruct us in this text. Listen to him in his revealed word. I didn't listen when I was up on the mountain. I want you to listen to what has been revealed. In fact, the whole point of this chapter, beginning to end, is to confirm the validity of the word of God, to confirm the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at the beginning, look at verse 3. He dives in and says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Through, through what? Like how? How has he done that? How has he given you everything you need for life and godliness? Well, look what he says. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. It is the word of God in which he's talking. He's talking. These are God's great and very precious promises given to us, granted to us, and it contains everything we need for life and godliness. That's how he begins the chapter. And how he ends it, we're going to see, he tells us how this word has been granted to us. The beginning to end, it is about the validity, the surety, the firm foundation that is the word of God. His prayer, even in verse 2 May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's a pretty typical opening for these guys. And then he says, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then look at verse, uh, verses 4, or I'm sorry, verse 5. He says, because this is true, because God has given us his word, verse 5, for this very reason, I want you to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he says, you know what I'll do on my end of things? This is verse 15. I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Well, what is he saying there? He's saying God has given us his word, his very great and precious promises. We have them. And what is he saying? He's saying, I I'm going to preach them to you as faithfully as I can. I'm going to make every effort to preach them as faithfully as I can, and I want you to make every effort to grow in them, to pay attention to them, to listen to them. He says, These are, this is not a cleverly devised myth. This is the truth of God. Our bookshelves are filled with cleverly devised myths of Stories that capture our heart and our attention and page turners that we can't put down. We love a good story. I love a good story. The human heart, though, has been shaped and molded by the great author 
and finisher of our faith, who molded us and who shaped us for one story, one great story, and that is the story of Jesus Christ, his coming, and his accomplishing our redemption. Our souls are to be enraptured by that story. This, this book points to Jesus. Every page points to Jesus Christ and points to that story that enraptures our heart and our soul. And yet you may say, but it's hard to pay attention. Right? It's hard to pay attention, especially after holiday feasting and and you drag yourself to church and then you're finding it hard maybe even right now to pay attention. It's difficult. Why is it that if this is the word of God, if this is truth, why is it that our hearts struggle to pay attention to it? Why is it that our, uh, we're, we're undisciplined in reading it? Why is it not the page turner that we maybe want it to be in our lives? That's a tough question. And I want to encourage you as you look into the mirror of the word, not to become critical of it, but to let it examine you as you answer that question. Why is it? This is not the page turner maybe that you wanted it to be. Is it a problem with the word of God? Or is it a problem with our own hearts? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the word of the cross, the word of God, is folly to those who are perishing. So maybe the word of God is not alive to you, it is not a page turner to you, it's not compelling to you, because you are perishing. The God of this world, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is at work to blind us, to blind our minds to the reality and the truth of this word. We also know from Scripture that Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. They come with demands on the word of God. Maybe your heart needs to be humbled as you approach, as you approach the word, to read it, or as you sit here even now listening to it. Maybe your heart needs to be humbled in order to be able to take it in. Maybe you come with an attitude of demanding. I demand a sign before I will believe. Or I demand wisdom. I demand to get what I want out of this when I come to it. Well, the wisdom of the wise God will destroy, he says. The, discerning of the, the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, he says. But, Paul tells us, to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. And so as you come to Christ through his word, if you come with a humble, believing heart, what do you experience? You experience great joy and satisfaction in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And so think about that. Analyze your own heart this morning. What is the content that I take in that tickles my ears? What is the content that I love to return to? 
like a dog returns to its vomit. One commentator said, we will never value the word of God until we value, until we worship the Lord of the word. Do you, by faith, approach the word of God in humility? Do you, by faith, approach preaching in humility? Paying attention to the preached word as that noble Berean who searches the scripture every day to see if things are so. Are you desperate for truth? Are you desperate for the light of the glory of God that in the face of Jesus Christ? You will find it here in his very great and precious promises. Do you wait for him? Do you wait for him? Do you rely on his word? Do you wait for him until your soul is satisfied? Jacob wrestled with God before God blessed him. Do you wrestle with God in these pages? Paul, I've been, I've been stuck on this verse for three years probably now. Paul, in Romans chapter 11, after 11 chapters of expounding the, the riches and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his soul can't take it anymore, and he exclaims, Oh, the depths of the knowledge and wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. He just praises the knowledge and the wisdom of God because he finds satisfaction and joy in the gospel of Christ. So Peter makes every effort to preach. And you are a part of a church where your pastors make every effort to preach through the word, through the songs that we sing, through the, the prayers that we pray. We make every effort to preach faithfully not with eloquent words of man, man's wisdom, Paul would say. Not with cleverly devised myths, Peter says. But rather with boldness as we ought to, Ephesians 6. We endeavor to make every effort to preach the gospel of Christ. So will you make every effort to pay attention to his word, to listen to it? This text is in the midst of false teaching in these churches. There were false teachers who had arisen and who were teaching false doctrine about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, uh, false teaching about the divinity of Christ. And so everything's at stake here. These doctrines are absolutely foundational to the, to the faith of Christianity. If any one of those doctrines is false, then your faith is in vain and you have no hope. And so... Peter says we must faithfully proclaim these things and we must faithfully condemn those who preach false truths. The incarnation, the divinity of Christ, the second coming, they are all essential foundational truths. We find ourselves right now in that after Christmas kind of situation. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's kind of weird. There's a song I love listening to around this time of year, kind of makes fun of all the hype and all the silly stuff about Christmas. And uh, in one verse, she says, and tomorrow's just another day of the week. It's like you, all this buildup and all this anticipation, and then, oh, 
just another day of the week tomorrow. And then we got to get through January and February. I was just telling Brandon this. It's like, man, here we go. All that hype and anticipation and, 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 you know, and, and joy. And then after it's over, it's like, huh. You know, we got to get through July or uh, through January and, and February now. We're in that after Christmas kind of feeling. We're between Advent. So I want you to think about that. We celebrated the first coming of Christ. We talked about it at, at the, uh, the Christmas Eve service. Advent means coming. We celebrated the first Advent. We celebrated Jesus Christ, the incarnation, Jesus Christ coming down to this earth to bring hope, peace, joy, and love. So I don't, I don't want you to get so caught up in the, the stuff of Christmas that when it's over, there's this huge letdown and you don't have real hope, love, joy, and peace. Because we're between Advents. Yes, we celebrated the first one, but the anticipation is still building. Think about that. The second coming is still to come. And so every single day, kindle an anticipation for Christ in your hearts. As you think about, why is it I struggle to read the Word of God? Also consider that Satan is working overtime to blind the minds of the unbelievers. He's got 2,000 years of experience to undermine the gospel. His oldest deceit is what? Did God really say that? Satan's oldest trick is to undermine the word of God because he knows that it is absolutely foundational and essential to our faith. And so he slithers into our hearts and our minds, and he deceives us into thinking that if we, well, is it really true? Is, is the word of God really true? Did God really say that? If he can do that, then he can begin to deceive us into thinking, oh, well, if, if that part's really not true, if I don't really believe this part, then I guess it really doesn't have much authority over my life if God really didn't say it. And so he gets a foothold, and he begins the work of convincing you that if you just don't believe it, then you don't have to live under its authority and you're free. But the reality is, he's enslaving you with every word to sin and to death and to his rule and to his reign in our lives. What is it that brings true freedom? Not a fake freedom. It's like, I don't believe that anyway. It doesn't bring true freedom. What brings true freedom is the Spirit of God moving as we humbly approach his word. That's what brings true freedom, true, the, the breaking of the, the bonds of sin comes from humbly approaching God's word. So pay attention. Pay attention. It was a great temptation to come away from a sermon and say, man, that was a great sermon. Man, that was a great, was a great preacher. He's a great preacher. Where we ought to say, what a great Savior. Well, on this side of the sacred desk, there's a temptation to craft eloquent words of man's wisdom and to strive to tickle the ears of those who listen, to get the praise of men. There's temptation on both sides, and so let's pray that we do not enter into that temptation, or rather make every effort to pay attention. 
and make every effort on this side to preach faithfully. As they go up on this holy mountain, the three disciples beheld his glory. And here you have Peter talking about it. In John chapter 1, John, who was also on the holy mountain, he says, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only one from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in 1 John chapter 1, John begins his book in the same way. That experience defined who they are. He says in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, the eyewitnesses, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses. That which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. And so Peter and John and James build this argument. Man, you know that experience we had on top of the holy mountain? We want you to have the same experience as you listen to and pay attention to the word of God, like any good preacher. They say, I want you to experience what I've experienced as I've dug in and wrestled with God and, and found true intimacy with Christ and joy in his name. So we move on to number two. One, pay attention. Is it still? Oh, my bad. Is it okay now? Okay. <laughs> One, we pay attention to the preached word. Number two, we pay attention to the received word. Look at verse 19 in this text, First Peter 1, or 2 Peter 1, 19. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We have the prophetic word. Pay attention to the received word. It's in our hands. This is the prophetic word, the very word of God that God has granted us, verse 3. He's granted us everything that we need for life and godliness. Everything. Wouldn't it be amazing if God gave you everything you needed to know for all of life and all of godliness? Is that not your goal, Christian? Is that not your goal in this new year? And I want to live a more godly life. I want to live a God-fearing life. God has given you, granted you everything you need, everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. I had a uh, pastor in college preach this sermon and uh, this, this particular sermon where he, he said, the word of God in your hands each day is just like God slipping a, a newspaper. God slipping a newspaper Wow, it's bad. Let me just take, okay. God, it's like God slipping a newspaper under your door. Can you hear me? Okay, sorry. It's like God slipping a newspaper underneath your door every day with everything you need to know for life and godliness written on it. So we have in our day and age a little bit of a, we don't really, most of us probably don't get newspapers anymore. What's the, uh, what's the analogy for us today? How do we think about that today? It's lost on us. Well, what is it that you read? What is it that you hear, that you bring in, that you meditate on? Well, we commonly we're reading emails, we're listening to podcasts, we're uh, getting notifications on our phone constantly. Remember, everything's vying for our attention the word of God is that for you. It is the sword of the Spirit. 
by which you fight against the schemes of the devil. It is the shield of faith for you that extinguishes the fiery, his fiery darts. That is the word of God. If you will daily discipline yourself to read it, to pay attention to it, it has been received. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, he tells the uh, Thessalonian believers, I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He says, I praise God that you have received the word, and you've received it for what it really is, the word of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed by this world. This world that so excellently vies for your attention daily in your social media, in your email inbox, in your texts, in your push notifications, constantly vying for your attention. Many of us are victims of our phones, of our social media, of our content. We just live and we just take in whatever the world spits out. You know, there are settings in each one of those where you can control what emails, what texts, what push notifications you get. And many of those you should probably go in and change and, and, and turn off. How is it that you can not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Part of it is not listening, not paying attention to what this world has to offer and rather disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness to tune into what God's word has to say for us. Resolve yourself to control your intake. Remember, this is the context of false teaching. And so Peter is giving arguments for why the gospel is fully confirmed, but also why the prophetic word is fully confirmed. When he says there in verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. That word to be translated confirmed is steadfast, sure, firm, unshakable, guaranteed, reliable. He's not saying God's voice is not reliable, but he's saying that our subjective experiences are not reliable. Think about this. Think about what has just happened. He's told you about his experience on the holy mountain. Peter, James, and John, they went up on the holy mountain and they experienced the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. They were eyewitnesses to it. What an incredible thing. And he's giving that as evidence why you should believe the gospel. We were there. We heard it with our own ears. The very voice born from heaven. But then he goes on in verse 19, and he gives you another reason you ought to believe the gospel. Another reason you ought to believe the word of God. And what does he say? We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What could be more firm, established, true, sure, guaranteed than hearing the very voice of God from heaven? 
Is that not what happened? They heard the very voice of God booming from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What could be more fully confirmed than that? What could be more sure, more steadfast than the very voice of God? Do you not long for that sometimes? God, if you would just show up, or if you would just send an angel to speak to me and tell me what to do, I would do it. Are you not demanding signs and seeking after wisdom? We think we would do it if that's what, if that's what happened. Well, what did Peter do? That literally happened to him. The voice of God booming from heaven as he sees the face of Jesus Christ transfigured in all its glory before him. But what does he do when Christ goes to the cross? He denies him three times. So Peter says, we have something more sure, more confident, more steadfast, more firm, more reliable than your personal experiences. We have the word of God, the prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention. Receive the word of God. Pay attention to the word of God. One of the commentators, Douglas Moo, he says, the apostle Peter wouldn't have made a good postmodernist. He insists that there is such a thing as absolute non-negotiable truth as well as error and deception. He's preaching. Do not believe these false teachers if you look at chapter 2. False teachers have arose among the people. Do not believe them. Their teaching will condemn you. And so what does he do? He condemns them. Paul himself says, if anybody comes to you, if an angel comes to you, if I come to you and preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that you've already received, let them be accursed. Even if it's an angel that comes to you and preaches to you a false gospel, let them be accursed. Historically, that's exactly how Mormonism started. That's exactly how Islam started. You got a guy demanding signs, demanding wisdom, and not looking to and paying attention to the word of God. And an angel appears to them and teaches them this new truth. A heresy which has deceived billions. Pay attention to the received word. We have it. It's right here. Everything that pertains to life and godliness at your fingertips. We have it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Psalm 19 says this about the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The received word is 
fully confirmed, trustworthy, reliable. You can bank on it. You can rest on it. And so he says, the word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. It's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Can you taste it? By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The word of God received is fully confirmed. If you're looking for a supernatural experience, you'll find nothing more supernatural than this book. Number three. Pay attention to the illuminating word. Pay attention as to a lamp, in verse 19, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When they were up on that mountain, they were heavy with sleep, Luke says. As Jesus' face is transformed, as his glory shines brightly out, as the cloud overshadows them, as the, 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 the very voice of God booms, well, they woke up quick. And you can imagine that haze, that like early morning haze. It gets, it's sometimes hard to shake off, isn't it? He says, as the day, until the day dawns. You're going, to, you're going to live in this world. It's a dark and twisted world. Satan is out and about trying to twist the word of God. Seeking whom he may devour. He's prowling around. He is out in force to try to deceive This world is dark and twisted. This generation is dark and twisted. And it's going to be hard to focus. It's going to be hard to concentrate, to discipline yourself on the word of God until the day dawns. And oh, I long for that day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, when we will look into the face of Jesus Christ and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. The day will fully dawn. The morning star will rise in your hearts, he says. Oh. What a day. You will see Jesus face to face. And until then, what do you pay attention to? That lamp shining in a dark place. The word of God in this dark and twisted generation. Pay attention to it. Philippians 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I've been wrestling with that text for two or three months now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This world is crooked and twisted. It's dark. You're heavy with sleep. And yet we are to shine as lights in the world. The only way you can do that is if you're reflecting the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as you study and pour over these words. How does Paul in Philippians 2 tell us to do that? You shine as lights in the world. How? Holding fast to the word of life. You are not going to shine if you are not holding fast to the word of life. You're not going to shine as lights in the world unless you're paying attention to that lamp that shines in a dark place. Pay attention to the illuminating word as you sit before it 
as you study, as you hear it proclaimed, as you read it for yourself, as you meditate on it, as you memorize this book, it will illuminate you. Oh, what a beautiful thing. You know, there's coming a day when Jesus returns and he will illuminate everything. There's no need of light in that city because Jesus Christ is the light of that city. What a day that will be. Until then, what do we hold fast to? It's the word of God. Number four, pay attention to the inspired word. I told you this, this whole chapter is about the word of God. The validity of the word of God. The fact that the word of God is fully confirmed, reliable, trustworthy. And he says, pay attention to it. He begins by saying, God has granted it to us. And then he ends by telling us how. You've heard 2 Timothy 3.16 so many times, I'm sure. All scripture is what? God breathed. It's breathed out by God. It is inspired. That's the nature of all of scripture. It is prophetic. It is inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 gives us the what? It gives us the nature of Scripture. But here in 2 Peter 1, he gives us the how. How did that happen? How did God inspire these words? How did he speak through men to prophesy this, these words? Well, he, he tells us. Verse 20. Know this, first of all. If you're going to pay attention, you need to know that it's trustworthy. You need to know that it's worth paying attention to. This is what he says. Know this, first of all, above everything else I've said thus far, know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture comes about by the will of man. He says, verse 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How do we get this word? It's not cleverly devised myths. It's not men coming up with, in their own willpower, coming up with what to say. It's not even that God spoke to them and they interpreted it and then wrote it. No, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I was talking to my wife about this text before. Um, we're preaching this morning, and she said, well, what does that mean, carried along by the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like or what that is like, but what an incredible truth to know that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I would assume that what that means, I don't think that God overrode their wills and they were like robots and they wrote exactly what he wanted them to write. And it's like he penned it like a, a computer or like a word processor or something. No, I believe that he moved, he carried them along, he moved their hearts and their desires to write exactly what he foreordained to be written for us. What a beautiful thing. We have the word of God fully confirmed. Trustworthy, reliable. Pay attention to the inspired word. God revealed himself in this book over the course of ages and generations. 
What are you doing when you pay attention to the word of God? It's very similar to what happened when the word is penned. As you sit before this word and study, just as the men who penned it were carried along by the Holy Spirit, their desires being conformed to his to write exactly what he would have written. So in the same way, as we sit before this word, our desires, our hearts, our minds are moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Not in the same way, but by the same Spirit. The Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. I said you'll find nothing more supernatural than this book. Don't search for something supernatural outside of these pages. Don't wait for a sign. Don't demand a sign from God outside of his word. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. For you to demand a sign outside of his revealed word, it's like saying, I know you've already told me, but I need you to tell me again in a different way, in the way that I determine. How arrogant. We come before God humbly, receiving what he has inspired for us. We come before God humbly submitting to, paying attention to his holy word. This word is supernatural. It was penned supernaturally. And as you sit under its teaching, you meet with the supernatural. There's something incredible and mysterious about wrestling with God through these pages. Listen to the way Peter describes it. Verse 3 of this chapter. Verse 4. He says, he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, listen, pay attention, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. When you sit and study this supernatural text that was supernaturally inspired, you meet with the 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 divine, and he transforms you from one degree of glory to another so that you become partakers of the divine nature. That can happen now. Will it happen when you see Jesus face to face? Yeah, you'll be like him because you will see him as he is. But until that day, you have the lamp of the word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Until the day that Christ returns, you have this lamp. Pay attention to it, and you will, from one degree of glory to another, grow in your Christ-likeness. Become partakers of the divine nature. That's another one of those things. I don't know exactly what that means, but man, I want that. I want to be a partaker of the divine nature. I want to meet with God in this book. I want to discipline myself to wrestle with God every day that I might have the satisfaction and the joy of knowing him through these words. Pay attention to the inspired word of God. And lastly, pay attention to the incarnate word. Pay attention to the incarnate word. 
said this many times, I'll say it many times again. You were created by the word of God. He spoke you into existence. You are sustained by Jesus Christ, holding you together by the word of his power, the word of his power. You're created by the word, you're sustained by the word. It is no surprise then that you ought to live by the word of God. And ultimately, who is the word of God? This is the lamp that shines in a dark place. Pay attention to it until the day dawns. Watching the sunrise is like God's gift to those who get up early enough to see it. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you discipline yourself to get up and watch, man, what a beautiful thing. Um, by God's grace, my office, my home office uh, in our house faces east, and so I, got to, I get to watch the sun rise sometimes when I'm disciplined enough to get up that early or when it's winter and it... <laughs> It's it, the, the sunrise is a little later in the day, um, and man, what a beautiful thing when the day dawns. You can if you, ask a hunter <laughs> what a beautiful thing that is. You're sitting out in creation, and you slowly watch everything come to life. That day's coming. And when it comes, Christian, the morning star will rise in your hearts. Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, will rise in your heart. And you will know him and you will be like him. And oh, what a day. But if you don't know Christ, that day, it will it'll still dawn. But it won't be a day of great rejoicing. It'll be a day of judgment. It'll be a day of misery. For those who do not believe. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He is the incarnate word. He came down to this earth. In order to live the life that you could not live. You've sinned against him. You've broken his law. You've not paid attention to his word. You've dismissed it and done what you wanted. His harshest condemnation in this book is for those who boldly and willfully deny the power of God in the preached word, in the gospel, in the word of God. That's chapter 2. Read there. It's scary. If you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, that day will dawn and it will be a day of judgment. When Christ returns. But there's good news. Christ, the word, he has been made flesh. He lived a life that you couldn't live. Perfect in his holiness. And he died the death that you deserve to die. He took the judgment you deserve to receive on that day. When he comes back. On the cross, he laid down his own life, taking your judgment, your sin, your punishment, so that you can have life and have it more abundantly. So I plead with you, pay attention to the incarnate word. Pay attention to Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this book is not produced by the will of man. It's not a cleverly devised myth, but it is the very word of God. I pray, Father, for our hearts and our minds, our desires to be driven to find satisfaction and joy as we dive more deeply into your word. Your very great and precious promises. I pray that we would pay close attention and we truly would receive the word of God for what it truly is your holy word. In this new year, we pray for resolve, we pray for discipline, Father, to return to your word every day that we might read it that we might take it in, that we might hear it preached and proclaimed faithfully as we do not neglect the gathering of ourselves together to sing of its truths, to plant its truths deep in our heart as we meditate and memorize. May we live by the word in this coming year and until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. We long for that second advent. Build anticipation in our hearts, Lord Jesus. And so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus.